Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, August the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I am joined by a very special guest to break down the Dolphins preseason in its entirety. How do we feel about the offense going into the regular season? How much are they really holding back on either side of the ball? And do the Dolphins have a budding star at tailback? All of that and much, much more. But first, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. No news to cover today, so let's go ahead and bring on our guest and get right into the podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I'm joined now by a longtime friend of the show. You can find his work on Bleacher Report, Optimum Scouting, and Fansided. He is, of course, my friend, Ian Wharton. Ian, what's up, dude? Man, not much, not much. I'm glad that we're pretty much through the preseason, and uh, we just have one more fluff game left with week four and uh, I'm excited that we're, we're finally into the action with college football and NFL. I had your name written down on my calendar for a podcast today. We're recording this podcast on Sunday and I, I did it about three weeks ago, I want to say. And that time just flew by, man. The entire preseason flew by. Here we are. We have one little exhibition game left and I'm so thrilled to talk football with you and get into the real stuff. And speaking of that preseason, let's go ahead and put a bow on it because the Dolphins did last night, sort of, unless you count that fourth game as an actual contest or whatever you want to call it. And I'm sure you're well aware, Ian, there were plenty of mixed reactions floating around the Twitterverse. And we'll get into some specifics as we go along in this podcast. But I want you to give me your main takeaways from these three games collectively and what you saw in as culmination of those three games. Yeah, I'd say offensively, it was just a much different team. It, it, it looks like a fresh team. It looks like uh, the explosiveness has definitely been ramped up. It's a more of a modern offense where we're kind of focusing more on uh, an efficiency-based attack. It's just, not that it was a bad unit two years ago, but all of a sudden it's like almost every play there was a receiver coming open quickly. There were guys making plays with the ball in their hands. They actually, you know, like Julian Edelman, or I'm sorry, not Julian, uh, Danny Amendola. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the small white receivers, yep. they all, you know, they're all the same. <laughs> Those Patriot but, defects. Uh, exactly, exactly. So they're all the same guy. But no, Amendola uh, with the touchdown reception yesterday, making a guy miss in space, jetting upfield quickly. Like that's something that this offense has been missing badly. Uh, giving Kenyon Drake more of the workload and kind of seeing what he can do with it. Um, the offensive line, I thought, especially in the passing game, very quick sets, effective, giving Ryan Tannehill a little bit more time, Tannehill looking sharp. So overall, I thought the offense was pretty favorable. Obviously, there were mistakes. Um, we, we can get into some of that. But like um, my quick impression was that 
the offense looked healthier. It looked more modern and I think is trending in the right direction, especially from an explosiveness standpoint. Well, it's good to hear because that was the entire theme of the offseason was getting the ball out quick, doing things to build around Ryan Tannehill, and we'll get more into that. But you talked about a certain player that really I want to be the focal point of this first segment in that in your little bit there. And I think the big star that has really been uncovered on this team is the running back, Kenyon Drake. He now has plays of 36, 34, and 30 yards in It was in two preseason games so far, and that goes along with five plays over the course of the final five games last season where he flipped the field to the tune of 47, 42, 32, 31, and 31 yards again. Ian, is this dude about to not only break out but become a full-fledged superstar? I think he's definitely on track to become a star. Uh, It's going to be an interesting battle for for the team because obviously Frank Gore's presence, I'm just interested to see how they use him. Uh, I think he's obviously going to be a good pass protector. He's going to be a guy on third downs that you can utilize in that role. And I get the sentiment of keeping Drake's workload manageable because we know of his injury past. And I think that's my biggest concern is, is how do you balance those two things? You don't want to give Frank Gore too many carries and you certainly don't want him to be like a co-starter in terms of like actual workload. But at the same time, you do need to keep Drake fresh. You do need to keep his body um, healthy because he really couldn't handle that full workload at Alabama and, and he struggled to stay on the field there because of that. So so my question for, for this team this year will be how do they manage that dynamic because if they go too much with Gore, you're losing too much of that explosive ability. We saw it even in that last preseason game, like you mentioned, on the ground. But even as a receiver, he has abilities. He's a mismatch guy. Um, there's no doubt the talent. Uh, the talent, the athleticism, that has all been honed in to a level I didn't think he'd ever get to. Um, he looks like a, a much better overall football player than when he came out of Alabama. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of credit to him. And and they, they definitely got a, a good value with him and a steal. And, and I think that he needs to be definitely the man in the backfield for the offense. It's just a matter of um, kind of matching that with Gore so that they don't go overboard and overwork his body. You talked about his play as a receiver, but also in pass protection. This is a guy that has really excelled in all three phases of the game going back to that stretch last year where he really came on like gangbusters. And I saw some more of that in the preseason. He really attacks that edge, that chip responsibility, and goes out and makes it happen himself. So I love seeing that. And you also talk about that management of how they're going to play him and Frank Gore. And I'm very intrigued by that because... Like you mentioned, you take him off the field, you get worse, but you keep him out there, he gets banged up, then you get even worse beyond that. And one of the things I noticed was after that big, long run he had to the right side of the formation, the 30-yard play, I believe it was, they gave him another quick toss sweep right after that play in a hurry-up mode, and he came off the field limping a little bit. So you wonder why they would do that and just not take him off the field right then and there. Yeah, and I don't know if that was just a, a kind of like a function of like the written script, like the game script. Right. Um, where like you know we're just going to move forward and and unless it if it's debilitating an injury but um, yeah I, I noticed that too and it's kind of one of those weird things where it's like you know what what exactly happened there was it just something that the coaches don't catch as you know in between plays or or you know maybe he just shrugged off a, a sub quick sub or something like that but I noticed that as well. It was pretty strange to me, and I don't understand why they did it. But like you said, it could have been part of the script. And speaking of scripts and predictions, we're going to get some more predictions later on in the episode. But now is a good time to tell you about our old sponsor and a new sponsor once again coming back and how to get your correct predictions to put a little bit of extra dough in your pocket. 
And I'm talking, of course, about mybookie.ag. You know, Ian, ever since I started this podcast, people ask me for advice all the time on certain things. And one of the main pieces of advice I get asked about is who I bet on each week at my sports book. And the one thing I always tell people is what's more important than who you're betting on is who you bet with. And that's why I always tell people to go to my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet you'll make this entire season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. Lay down some cash and win big today. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me, and my bookie has been great to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game, live betting, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code LOCKEDONDOLPHINS to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDONDOLPHINS when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid at MyBookie. Rolling into our second segment here with Ian Wharton. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. And Ian, I think a lot of people will be surprised to learn that we didn't lead the podcast off with this topic, but we're going to talk about it now in segment number two, talking, of course, about number 17, the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He ends the preseason with a passer rating of 99.0. That's 14th best out of 56 total quarterbacks and seventh best among quarterbacks that threw the ball 30 plus times. What have you seen from Tannehill to either worry you or encourage you? And do you feel like he's all the way back from that knee injury, both mentally and physically? Yeah, it's it's been a good preseason for him. I, I, I think the biggest takeaway out of the fact that that he does look healthy and I do think that he looks close to 100% especially on the move on rollouts quick things like that is his accuracy's been been very strong you know there's only been a couple plays I think where you can point to to say yeah I'd probably like to have that ball back um, but you're going to have those every once in a while anyways every quarterback's going to miss some throws um, I think the unit as a whole has kind of faltered more at times than he has uh, you know the, the botch snaps the other night that's definitely something that uh, that needs to be addressed, but I don't really know that that's on one player, one individual, you know, precisely. And that's something that gets cleaned up for the regular season um, nine times out of 10. So um, overall, though, that ball is coming out quick. He looks very comfortable getting that ball out quickly, making those quick decisions. Um, we saw the deep ball to, to Kenyon Drake. That was obviously very nice. So it's great placement on that. So I don't really have any concerns about him at this point. I think that his recovery has been clear. Uh, if he was hobbled at all, especially you know getting outside the pocket, then I'd be really concerned. And that was one of my concerns during this year is, is what do you have if he's not exactly what he was prior to the injury? Uh, but he looks like a good fit for, for what they've built. And especially in that rain-soaked field in the game on Saturday night. And I had a little bit of deja vu going back to that because in that Arizona Cardinals game where he did get hurt and he was playing so well, he did have a couple of of gaffes with the center quarterback exchange and and as well as throwing the ball off to the side on a screen pass too. So it looked eerily similar in that regard. But luckily he gets through it healthy. The Dolphins get through the preseason mostly healthy. And let's go ahead and talk about the coaching staff a little bit now as the quarterback is always an extension of his head coach. And that brings us into Adam Gaze and this next topic. And Gaze said it himself in a PC, I think it was last Sunday, that he's been holding the offense back in terms of things they do on third down, things they do in the red zone. Well, on Saturday, the Dolphins scored a touchdown in the red zone, and it came on third and long, third and 10 to be exact. Are there tangible things you can see, Ian, that that they will be able to expand upon once these games start to count? 
Yeah, I, th- I think one of the bigger adjustments, and and you know, this team's first quarter struggles have been around since Joe Philbin's era. Um, so I, I don't know that it's something inherent to you know Gase and the fact that he's a young head coach and he's someone that's you know trying to work through his own uh, his limitations and where he's kind of struggling at. And but that's definitely got to be a top priority for him this year is to figure out exactly what they're doing in that first quarter that's not working. Um, I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive on first down. I think there's a tendency in the NFL to just run the ball on first down or mm-hmm. just take a quick screen or something to get a couple of yards and then you move on to the next play. But but the reality is that it starts to pigeonhole you into certain situations onto the next play, and those next plays kind of build up, and then all of a sudden it's third and six or third and 16 because you got a sack or a botch snap or a penalty. And so I think on first down they, they should just be more aggressive, uh, run more intermediate route combos. And, yeah, you do run more risk by doing that, uh, but you definitely want to start getting into that second and short type of situation because the second and short situation is really – uh, that perfect situation, if you're not going to get a first down, then you can go deep. You can continue to capitalize uh, off of that that action that you just tried to run, play action deep. You can sell the run a little bit. And then you come back on third down. If you don't hit on a play action pass deep, boom, then you have a little bit more opportunities on that third and short. So I think that's going to be probably an area where he needs to be a little bit less cute and probably a little bit more functional. Um, the data definitely supports being aggressive on first down. And I think that's probably... Uh, my number one thing for them is is to start thinking a little bit more outside the box early in downs so that you're not trying to play catch-up late in downs. And I think they actually did make strides in that department in this preseason because the first two games, the very first play of the preseason was a play-action rollout, 12 personnel, one of Tannehill's bread-and-butter plays, converts it for a first down. And then I believe game two was another quick ball out of his hands where they gained seven or eight yards once again. And then on Saturday, they tried to run the screen pass to Kenyon Drake, a little swing route, and Tannehill drops the football. So maybe they're showing signs towards going towards that. And you mentioned the slow starts, Ian, and it's a big concern that I have because the way this team is built, and we're going to get to this on tomorrow's podcast, the way this team is built, they need to have leads. And one of my biggest points of contention this entire offseason has been the Dolphins' overuse of the first-team offense and the fact that they have lined up almost the exact same lineup since April. I look around the league and I see other teams are barely playing any of their guys. And because of that, you have these September games in the NFL where the preseason almost looks like the regular season because teams are trying to find this identity. So the Dolphins have all these reps, all this work with the first team. Does that give the Dolphins a somewhat of an advantage in these early September games? It, it theoretically does. I, I think a little bit the, the lack of uncertainty is definitely a welcome sign, I think, to this unit because they've had so many guys moving in and out of the lineup over the last couple of years, not only to injuries, but um, just also talent issues as well um, and kind of changing over to the youth movement. So overall, I mean, I, I would think it is. I mean, this isn't like they need to really adjust to each other too much. They know their positions. They know their roles, uh, and especially along that offensive line. This should be a benefit to them, especially to bring back guys who are now multi-year starters. It's good to hear positivity out of you, Ian, and very good stuff from you. As always, we are going to get to the wideouts and the big uglies after this word in the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, and Ian is at NFL Film Study. 
All right, we've covered the quarterbacks, the running backs, a little bit of the offensive scheming. Now it's time to talk about the offensive line and the pass protection this season, this preseason, Ian, has been up and down at times. I think Jesse Davis has probably been the weak point so far in that regard. What are your early returns on how this group is playing with Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore coming over, being the new guys? And let's face it, a group that was really sculpted in a way to bring the most out of Ryan Tannehill. I agree with you. I, I agree that, you know, you kind of look at that right guard situation. You say, Jesse Davis, you know, what kind of does he need to do to hit, the, hit that next step? Because that was where most of the leaks were coming in. I, I thought it was in that center and right guard. Um, those two those two guys, uh, Daniel Kilgore, obviously a newcomer. He was a very good pass blocker last year um, for the San Francisco 49ers. So I think that he's got the reputation to say that the, that should be a skill set that you can build on. So for Jesse Davis, it's going to be, where can we get him improved and how can we get him up to snuff? Do we need to provide him more support? Because the rest of the line, I thought, was, has been very solid. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, his growth is going to be a key storyline this year uh, for the team. It's going to be a little bit of a defining moment for him in his career in his second year at left tackle. He's had some ups and downs, some really good good snaps, a couple of bad ones, a couple of losses that uh, it's kind of similar to last year where it's his pass set, it's his balance and his dropbacks that he's not quite getting to where he needs to get. Uh, but his body looks a little bit better than last year. I thought he was a little bit top-heavy last year. So uh, sitting kind of the same thing, he, he physically looks a little top-heavy this year, but I don't think he's played like that. I actually think he's played really well. Um, and that just might be visually how he just kind of stacks up. But however <laughs> he uses that weight is fine as long as he's effective getting the job done. So I think it's been a better pass-block unit overall um, than run-blocking unit, but – there, uh, we definitely saw some progress with, progress with that on Saturday night. Um, saw a couple really nice holes from them, and I guess a, a very tough Baltimore front that that rarely will give up too many open cracks for for running backs. So, um, I think it's an encouraging sign. It's it's a young group overall, not only together, um, but also just individually. I mean, Sitton's the only one that you can say is certainly a finished product. Uh, but it's been an encouraging preseason. I wouldn't say it's dominant. I wouldn't say it's been great. I would say it's it's on the right track, and I'd say it's probably uh, clearly better than last year overall, uh, which was to be expected not only with the new additions but also just guys taking that that next step and getting another year in the weight room. Uh, but I, I've liked what I've seen so far. Well, I was going to say a middle of the pack would be a massive upgrade over what Ryan Tannehill has had in the first six years of his career. And let's go ahead and get to the last position group here and talk about you mentioned the the wide receiver defect from New England coming over, but this wide receiver room is so convoluted at this point in terms of who deserves the most reps. How would you stack this room one through five in terms of Amendola, Wilson, Stills, Grant, and Parker? So I would treat Stills as the number one. I, I've said it for a couple of years now. I think this offense kind of goes as he goes. I think he is so dynamic. I think he's un- undersold a bit. Um, as far as what he can contribute to an offense, I think he's more than just a deep threat. I think he's a really solid route runner. He's a very dynamic player, um, and, and we've seen that in, in little glimpses here and there. Uh, so I'd like to see him continue to be featured as a guy who gets the bulk of the, of the targets. He's not going to be like a, a superstar level, but he's someone who can definitely open things up for everyone else. And there it kind of gets muddied. I mean, I love what we've seen from Danny Amendola. I think he's Really been a nice addition. He's probably outperformed a lot of people's expectations. You know, like we think about New England receivers, we think they're all scheme. We think they're all Tom Brady, but he's proving so far that that is definitely not the case. He has a skill set that is very valuable to an offense. So I'd probably go Stills one, Amendola two, Wilson three, 
Uh, I like Wilson's speed. I love what he brings. He's kind of similar to Amendola in the sense that he just creates that separation so quickly. And he is a disaster, uh, disaster storm, basically, for defenders to try to tackle one-on-one if they're not properly uh, aligned to, to take him down. So I'd like to see him get those opportunities. Jakeem Grant, I think he's a valuable, valuable player, too, but... I think we're probably going to see Devontae Parker given an opportunity over him just because of the body differences between all these guys. You do need a bigger target. You do need someone who can go up and get those jump balls. You need someone who can try to make those explosive plays up in the air. Parker deserves a shot. I mean, I mean admittedly, I'm, I'm pretty low on him at this point. I think a lot of folks are starting to see uh, those concerns, starting to see that lack of development in him, and it's, it's frustrating because we know he can be really good if he could just put it all together. Um, I think he's going to be a guy who his his best case scenario is probably very high this season, but his worst case is probably that he just falls out of this rotation. So I don't know if there's a more volatile receiver in this group. Um, he very well could end up number two on this team in, in targets, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me. And I don't know that that I wouldn't say it's a bad thing necessarily. It's just uh, I, I I feel comfortable right now um, going Stills, Amendola, and Wilson as more reliable targets. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily they'll get the most targets, but I like those guys right now from a talent perspective. Then I would go Parker, and then I would say Grant. Um, but one through five, I mean, that is that is a heck of a team. Like that, that is a much stronger receiving core, I think, than we've seen in the past. Um, Jarvis Landry's a very good player. It's not nothing against him, but you look at the dynamicism that this has compared to what they had last year, where they needed Parker to be the number two guy. Um, and then they, you know, we all knew that Jarvis was going to get 350 targets just because he always gets it somehow. <laughs> um, like the, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't a healthy receiver room. This looks like a group that can be spread around and kind of fit into these little roles here and there, and they can all excel in those those opportunities. And real quick, do you think that if Parker does go by the wayside, Mike Kosicki could kind of be a guy that sub- replaces his production in terms of that big body? Well, I think he's going to have to be that guy either way. Yeah. I think even if Parker's it hits his ceiling, you're still going to need Gasicki to be that guy. Um, it, it's a lot of pressure to put on him, and it may not be this year. Maybe it's in this year or next year. Um, but Gasicki needs to be very good, and and part of that is because of his talent. He needs to hit that talent um, for for not only himself but also for the team to 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 really hit that next level because we've never seen a tight end like him with Ryan Tannehill. And I'm excited to see that. But, um, you know, if they both hit and they're both, you know, those high upside type of players, then then we're going to be having a little bit of a different discussion, I think, about the upside of this offense um, in a good way. Uh, but, it, but either way, it's just there's, there's going to be pressure on him because he is so so special of an athlete. As always, fantastic stuff from Ian Wharton and a lot of optimism on the offense. We'll see if he feels the same way about the defense. We're going to do another podcast here for you guys tomorrow on Tuesday. Once again, Ian Wharton's work can be found at Bleacher Report, Fan Sided, and Optimum Scouting. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Ian, what do you say we do another podcast here? Sounds good, man. All right. Very good. Very good. You guys will hear from us again tomorrow talking about the defense. But as for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, that is going to do it for us here. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast with Ian Wharton, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. 
that word again.